Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Criminals usually leave some kind of trace evidence at the crime scene. The trick is to find it. Scientists used some Aurora pink powder, cyanoacrylate fumes, and a computer database to identify a suspect in the midst of a senseless crime spree. It was 4 a.m. on an October morning, and Kim Miller was manning the police switchboard. I was working night shift. I think I'd only worked there like six, around six months. So I hadn't been um, trained at that particular position very long. There isn't much crime in Lansing, Michigan. It's usually quiet. But this night was different. All of a sudden, I took this call, and this lady said that someone was breaking into my house. 911, someone broke into my house. 11421 Southern Brighton. The line went dead. So I knew something was very wrong. Police were dispatched immediately. It took less than four minutes to get there. At first glance, everything looked fine. But behind the house was clear evidence of a break in. The door had been kicked in, and kicked in violently. The door was actually off of the frame, and there was glass from the door outside on the front porch as well as on the inside entranceway from the door. Inside, down the hallway, police found the bathroom door had also been knocked off its hinges. On the floor was the body of 67-year-old Audrey Nichols, she had been shot in the head at close range with a 32 caliber bullet. The phone that they believe that she was using was found right in that area, I believe in the hallway uh, just outside the bathroom. The police officers knew Mrs. Nichols. She had worked for the Michigan State Police for 17 years analyzing traffic accidents. She had retired just four months earlier and lived alone. Her three children were grown and living elsewhere. We all felt violated by it just because so many of us were alone. It was very shocking to us. It was um, numbing, and there was a lot of anger, an awful lot of anger. Since police arrived within five minutes of the call, the killer wasn't inside the house long. None of the drawers or closets had been ransacked, but Audrey's purse was missing. It looked like the uh, house had been selected uh, for a break-in so that somebody could go in and find something of value, probably to purchase for drugs. A preliminary look at the evidence left no doubt about what had happened. Audrey heard the intruder kick in the back door. She grabbed the portable phone, ran to the bathroom, and locked herself in. But apparently... He heard her on the phone. 
then grabbed her purse and left. Here was a woman that was huddled on the floor of her bathroom on 911, who, at least in the opinion of the forensic pathologist, turned her head uh, to avoid what she saw was coming, the fatal gunshot. It doesn't get worse than that. Unfortunately, police could find no witnesses. We didn't have any neighbors or anything that saw or heard anybody in the neighborhood that could give us any type of physical description. He has no regard for human life. And our concern was at that point we needed to find this guy and put him away. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Police and forensic experts searched Audrey Nichols' home, hoping to find evidence left by the person who killed her. The victim was in the bathroom, dead, so we determined a pathway from the entranceway to the bathroom. And so everything in between has to be processed. And then there was no other way out of the house but out of the door that the suspect came in. In the kitchen, police found one foreign fingerprint, although it was badly smudged. There were shards of glass spread over the linoleum floor of the kitchen. Was it possible that the killer stepped on a shard of glass, leaving his shoe impression? The theory of any crime scene investigation is that the suspect is always going to leave something of themselves at the scene or take something away that's going to link them to the crime. The shards were collected and sent to the forensics lab. Glass is such a smooth, perfect surface that it's really, really the best surface we can possibly hope for to get a footwear impression on. The linoleum floor was dusted with a powder called Aurora Pink that sticks to any moisture present. Then, using what is called an alternate light source, any powder that clings to the moisture will fluoresce. If you have a patterned linoleum or something where the background is interfering with the the impression, you can usually use your alternative light source to eliminate the background and then the fluorescent powder that you use to dust up the impression is very bright and so it makes a very good contrast. It was successful. They saw one clear print, the heel portion of the killer's left shoe. It appeared to be an athletic shoe. Most of the prints you see are partial prints. You may sometimes get some full footwear impressions, but with people walking over on top of them, it can destroy the prints, and many times you only get partial prints. Back in the forensics lab, scientists saw what looked to be another shoe impression on a shard of broken glass. So they placed it in a tank filled with heated superglue. The fumes create a permanent image of the print, and it looked like the toe area of the killer's right shoe. 
because we had a toe area on the glass and a heel area on the linoleum, we, we basically almost had an entire, entire shoe impression. So we did have a very good idea what the entire tread pattern looked like. I remember looking at the glass and saying, we have some really good footwear impressions here. Today, forensic analysts have access to sophisticated databases of all kinds of shoe impressions. It includes men's, women's, even children's shoes, both dress and leisure from all over the world. This database is called Soulmate. Elements of the shoe patterns will be entered in by the operator. So if it has squares uh, in the ball area of the shoe or the toe area of the shoe, you would enter that in. And then the computer comes back with a list of possible shoe treads. And you can pull those up and look at them to determine, you know, if any of those are the shoe you're actually looking for. Checking and cross-checking finally gave investigators their first solid piece of information. The footwear impressions were consistent with having been made by a Spalding tennis shoe. Unfortunately, the print wasn't complete, so some details were unclear. The fact that he was wearing tennis shoes was about the only given that we had. A month after Audrey's death, a pedestrian found her purse in a field about a mile from her home. Her identification was inside, but all the money was gone. This proved robbery was a motive, but why murder? It was an unanswered question for all of us. It was like, who would do this? Why would they do it? And how? How did they choose her? Research shows criminals often commit their crimes close to where they live. So police focused their search in the surrounding areas, but got no leads. You always fear that this might be one of those cold cases that might end up on the shelf. And uh, this was a very, very serious case. So we had this concern that we hope this one doesn't go cold. Then, six weeks after Audrey's murder, police got a break. Police apprehended a man breaking into a home just down the street from Audrey's. Get down the ground! Irony of ironies, they end up with a home nearby Audrey's that was broken into, and the guy's wearing sneakers. Not only is he wearing sneakers, but he's wearing Spalding sneakers. There were glass fragments embedded right in the shoes of the, of the first suspect's shoes. It's like, whoa, is this the guy? And glimmers of hope that... Maybe there had been a solution to the Audrey slaying. But it didn't turn out to be that simple. Two partial impressions from a pair of Spalding tennis shoes were the best clues found in Audrey Nichols' home following her murder. Police also found a partial fingerprint weren't sure if it was left by the killer. The suspect was in and out of the house so quickly that there really wasn't a lot of other um, forensic evidence, if, if any. Um, so this particular case really hinged on those footwear impressions. Six weeks after the murder, police arrested a man attempting to rob a home not far from where Audrey Nichols lived. He was 25-year-old Kent Embry who had prior arrests for petty theft and burglary. The 
suspect happened to be wearing Spalding tennis shoes, just like we had told the investigators that they were looking for. Since these are Spaldings and we already know that we need Spaldings, we needed to have these analyzed right away because this could be the big break in, in Audrey's shooting. Police sent the shoes to the forensics lab where they were inked and printed. Using transparent overlays, Amy Nishaud compared them to the two partial prints found in Audrey Nichols' home. That was compared directly to the photograph of the footwear impression on the linoleum and then directly to the glass. Nishaud was looking for two things. Class characteristics, which result from how the shoe is made, and accidental characteristics, which result from how it's worn. Just the random wear that occurs to the bottoms of the shoes through ordinary activities every day um, it produces cuts and scratches and nicks on the bottoms of your shoes, which make it unique to all other shoes. And so it's those scratches that we really look for. After extensive comparisons, Michaud called investigators with some bad news. The sizes were slightly off. Things just didn't line up correctly, and then we were absolutely positive that those weren't the shoes that made the impressions left at the crime scene. What we had hoped would be good evidence turns out to be absolutely useless and unrelated. It wasn't that break that we were looking for. Now we had to basically start from zero again and move forward. Investigators went back to canvassing the neighborhood, but feared Audrey's murder would go unsolved. Then, almost four months after Audrey's murder, the local district attorney received a letter from a man in prison. Do you remember the retired state police lady that was killed in Lansing? I can give up the killer for a deal with the prosecutor. He said he found her in the bathroom. She was calling for help, so he knocked the phone from her hand and stomped on it. When he looked up, she was looking at his face, so he shot her in the head with a 32 caliber. See what you can do. The letter was from a prisoner named Carl Headley. Headley said he heard about the murder from a cellmate who was awaiting trial for shooting and robbing a truck driver. It had to be checked out because obviously sometimes in these jailhouse settings, things get exaggerated or they pick up information that they think they can sell or trade off. And, and so that always has to be taken with a degree of skepticism. But the details of the letter were all accurate. He had details that we had not released to the public. There's only one way he could have come into that type of information. He was either there or he got it from somebody who was. The man's name was John Skinner, 22 years old. Homicide investigators questioned Skinner about the murder, but he denied it. And like everybody else that we interview that is accused of a murder, they never had anything to do with them, weren't there. You know, I don't remember where I was that night, but I wasn't there. Skinner's fingerprints did not match the unidentified print found in Audrey Nichols' kitchen. And there were no Spalding tennis shoes in the prison storage unit or at the local county jail where Skinner was first processed. It was a, a tough situation because of the fact that the homicide occurred approximately a month earlier and we were no closer to finding this uh, horrific person out running around possibly killing people. Again, the investigation faced a crisis. Without a fingerprint match, 
And with no Spalding tennis shoes, investigators had reached a dead end. Skinner was the prime suspect in Audrey Nichols' murder. He was in prison awaiting trial for an unrelated crime when he allegedly bragged to a cellmate that he had killed Audrey Nichols and gotten away with it. But police couldn't find any evidence that Skinner even owned a pair of Spalding brand tennis shoes similar to the prints found at the crime scene. We had the information from the jailhouse informant um, we knew that we had to have something else. It was imperative to get the shoes to do the comparison work. And the longer you wait, the chances of getting the shoes lessens, and the chances of more damage occurring to the shoes if somebody's wearing them, that lessens the chance of an identification. As a last resort, police spoke with everyone working in the prisoner processing area of the county jail and they got a break. Skinner's prison file indicated that his mother picked up her son's personal belongings after he was incarcerated. Investigators rushed to her home, which was less than a mile from the murder scene. So those sneakers were absolutely essential. The mother could have taken them and thrown them in a trash can, or uh, he could have called her and said, get rid of them. And uh, that could have been very damaging. But police found a worn pair of Spalding tennis shoes in John Skinner's bedroom. Amy Michaud compared Skinner's pair to the transparent overlays of the partial prints found at the murder scene. In both of the impressions, the one from the linoleum and the one from the glass, there were enough accidental markings and, and characteristics that were visible in the impression that lined up with the, the known shoes that um, we were able to say without a doubt that these are the shoes that made those impressions. Based on the forensic evidence, prosecutors say Skinner kicked in the back door and broke the glass. As he stepped into the room, his sneaker left a partial print on a broken shard. His other shoe left a partial print on the linoleum floor. Audrey heard the commotion, grabbed her telephone, ran into the bathroom, locked the door, and called police. 911, someone broke into my house. When Skinner heard this, he kicked open the bathroom door and killed her. Police arrived within five minutes, but Skinner had already fled with Audrey's purse. Inside was all of $100 in cash. His drive to get money was more important than a human life. His downfall was the fact that he was wearing those Spaldings. There's no reason for his footwear impressions to be there because he did not know the victim. The victim did not know him. Police questioned Skinner one last time. He asked about the evidence against him. After denying the fact that he was there, his main question to me was, is do you have my prints in the house? And my response to that is, yes, I do, John. I have your prints, so I need to know whether or not you had planned this killing or whether or not it was a random act. Skinner then realized the investigation was over. He confessed to the crime and said he chose the house at random, that all he planned to do was to steal some money for drugs. 
he said he didn't go there with the intent to kill her or anything like that. that she, uh, he heard her talking on the phone and only wanted to uh, make her stop talking on the phone, and somehow the gun went off accidentally, which we thought was a bunch of bull crap. We never did a, identify him with latent prints, and I don't know if he was wearing gloves or not wearing gloves at the time. After he confessed, we talked to him about where the gun was because our main goal was to get the gun back so it couldn't be used in any other crimes. He had indicated that we would never find the gun, that it was thrown down a sewer, and then later on he recanted that story indicating that someone else had the gun and we would never find it. John Skinner pled guilty to second-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. I'm glad for the forensic sciences that they were able to close this case. I think that Audrey rests better, you know, knowing that her kids don't have to wonder what happened and her friends don't have to wonder what happened. While investigating homicides, the first line of defense is forensic sciences. A person coming in and, and fuming the floors, uh, obtaining fingerprints. Without them, would half of the crimes be solved? Probably not. As technology progresses, I hope forensic science does. In this case, forensic science was at the very heart of this case being solved and being successfully prosecuted. Without it, who knows? We, we might have a cold case on the shelf, plain and simple. But with the forensics, everything came together.